In a world where politics are so complex, so convoluted, you can't tell the players without a scorecard. Here's the question of the age. Is it more worrisome that Joe Biden has caches of confidential documents locked up in his garage or that he has access to the keys to a Corvette? These and other questions answered by your doctor of truth, Dan Newman. Got to be honest with you. I've seen Joe Biden drive that Corvette. Uh, Somebody needs to take the keys away. Take the keys away from wherever they store those classified documents because he has no clue. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to TNN Live, a special edition today. Why is that? In studio with us, live in studio, Steve Baker, that photojournalist that you hear from every Tuesday. He's all across America. He's investigating. He's finding the good, the bad, and the ugly for all of us. And right now, he is uh, scarfing down one of my wife's homemade cinnamon rolls. Exactly. Is it good? Uh, well, I, I'll let you know as soon as I get the rest of it out of my mouth. <laughs> my mouth is full right now. Well, you, I know you. You're you're on your way from somewhere, mm-hmm. and you're on your, way, on your way to somewhere. Yeah. Where might those two <laughs> wares be? I, I was hiding out in my secret um, bunker in Nashville for a few days, so I, I do have a location. Ah, it's okay. a It's a... Combination bunker, oasis, and it's a stop where I pick up wisdom because it's a friend's place. Who, I got you. Who, who is one of my um, most, not only a dear, one of my dearest friends, but closest confidants and brain trust, as you say. And so it's always good for me when I'm headed west to stop there and get refueled by this guy's wisdom and advice and counsel. Uh, we need that. Uh, Regardless of what we're doing. We all do. We all have to have somebody or need somebody like that in our lives, too. Mm-hmm. We and all if do. we think we don't, yeah. we're in trouble. Well, the older we get, you know, we're, we, when we were young and just knew everything about everything, we didn't need anybody. We just did it, whatever we thought was best, and didn't think about it two or three times. We just went and did it. But I thought by now I would have it all. <laughs> I would certainly at least know it all. How old are you? Uh, 87 and a half. I don't think so. How old are you? You may feel that old, but how old are you really? No, I, I feel 17, but I'm 62 going on 63 in April. Okay. Well, you need to start calling me sir. I'm 69. <laughs> All right. Respect your elders. An old Southern thing. We're yes, both Southern. Yes, sir, Southerners. Mr. Newman. Well, if you just tuned in, Steve Baker, photojournalist, investigative journalist that's been with us now for several months. Every Tuesday is his day. And he joined us live in the studio today, and it's good to have you here, Steve. Thank you. Well, we have a bunch of stuff we're going to get into. Of course, the second hour, 10 o'clock hour of this show on Tuesdays, Mr. Baker gets into the pecking order, and we're going to hold off on that. Let's launch into some of this crazy stuff that's happening around us. Do you ever listen to Joe Rogan? I do. It's not a show that's in my weekly lineup, yeah. but obviously when he has one of those particular guests that you just, you can't miss, I do go on there and I, and I, I enjoy his show. I think he's a great interviewer. He, I mean, from, for a guy with his background and what he does outside of his podcast studio, you would never expect him to be as good as he is or as inquisitive. That's the, that's what makes him great 
is he is genuinely interested in what that guy sitting across the table has to say and knows how to ask the right questions. Let me let me give you a correlative uh, about what you just mentioned. Our mutual friend, Denny Duran, when Donald Trump was elected president, of course, Denny is a pastor. Mm-hmm. He's been in the ministry his entire life. Um, he was glad that a very conservative person was going to be in the White House. But then as he listened to President Trump after that inauguration going forward, little rough around the edges in the way that he talked. And um, then he talked to me about it two or three times. As a matter of fact, we wrote a letter jointly to uh, the White House. I sent it to Ivanka, and she got it. I got confirmation Mm -hmm. that she got it. Asked her to pass it along to her dad. I have no idea if she did. But if she did, it didn't work because... He just got a little more raw <laughs> every when that Russia collusion right. stuff started. He just went off the reservation. I'm saying that to say this. I told Denny, I said, look, his communication skills may not be what we think they should be. We think he should tone it down and try to pull everybody by the way he speaks under that big tent. But, He's speaking the way the majority of blue-collar and white-collar Americans can associate with. That's right. And I think Joe Rogan, why does he have 12 million podcast followers? Well, it's because of the way he communicates. He relates to a whole lot of people. And in your business and in mine, more so mine, being you know on the air mm-hmm. every day, um, people got to relate to me. They got to relate to us or they'll tune out. They won't join in. And it's not just about the message. It's often about the messaging. The, yeah. The, the vehicle that is delivering that message is very important yeah. on occasion. Yeah. And so us from being from the South, we uh, communicate a little bit differently than others. Uh, I've been known to throw in a, como se vaya? How you do? <laughs> I'm from way South. I'm from Lafayette, Louisiana. Uh, you're from this area, so when I was growing up, you guys were Yankees, and it's 200 miles. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you were Yankees. Well, anything, and we, anything north of Alexandria, you're yeah. a Yankee. And we were the real Americans down there, so I guess we all uh, flocked together. But anyway, Rogan, he on Saturday connected some dots on his show when he was speaking with fellow comedians Matt McCusher Shane Gillis, the host of Matt and Shane's Secret Podcast. It all started, and it didn't start in politics, but it ended up in politics and the classified documents. I've termed this whole classified documents thing Joe Biden's DocuGate. (laughs) DocuGate. Yeah, take off on Watergate. Anyway, Rogan said it's crazy. He's getting jammed up like uh, manila folders when he was like, kissing 12-year-old girls on cameras. Joe Biden, Gillis clarified. (laughs) Then Rogan said, what many are thinking. Findings suddenly happened just conveniently before Biden was allegedly prepping an announcement that he's going to run for a second term. I don't know Jack about politics, Rogan remarked. You know, and when he said, I don't know Jack, he didn't say Jack. Right, right. He added the four-letter addendum on that um that's rogan and he started into his theory but if i had to guess he said they're trying to get rid of him 
I'm going to stop right there and tell you this. About a week and a half ago, I don't even remember who I was talking to. They asked me about what was going on. And I mentioned, I mentioned this, and they said, well, what do you think is going to happen? And I said, I predicted when Joe Biden was elected president, I mean literally when he was elected, November 2nd, I think it was November 2nd that year in 20, uh, 2020, I predicted that he wasn't going to make four years. He can't make four years. His cognitive ability, it's, it's dropped dramatically just in the two years he's been president. And I, I told whoever this was, one morning, we're going to hear about this, one morning Jill is going to call Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and tell them Joe's not going to be able to make the trip. Physically, something has come up. We need to come up with a transition away from Joe being president. I think we're headed down that road. I don't think he's going to make the midterm elections. And I think it's not so much because of any physical problem he may have. I think it's because they're sick of him, they being the Democrats. And uh, I think they have a plan. I think they had it from the beginning. I, uh, Of course, if he leaves, Kamala Harris will assume the role of the presidency and I think they've got a plan that includes her, and it may include her getting bumped. And maybe it included her getting bumped, but having a different Speaker of the House. <laughs> they didn't expect McCarthy right. would pull it off. They didn't expect that uh, the voters would give the Republicans a majority in the House in mm-hmm. the elections we just had. So it's almost like Donald Trump reigned on their parade by beating Hillary Clinton and I think Kevin McCarthy reigned on their parade by uh, having the Republicans win back the House and him getting the majority seat because he is the third in line to be the president. So if if they were going to have somebody step up and replace Kamala Harris, who stepped up and replaced Joe mm-hmm. Biden, they don't want Kevin McCarthy there. So they must be on plan B, C, or D. But I promise you, those people, the names that I mentioned, and just because Pelosi's not speaker doesn't mean she's gone away. No. She's being quieter than I've ever seen her be. She never gets on a camera, never does an interview that we see. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always something going on behind the scenes. Democrat Party always has a plan for everything. And they have a lot of objectives that become clearer and clearer almost daily to us. Uh, for instance, the southern border. I haven't talked to you about this. What is your opinion about what's happening down there? On the southern border? Yeah. Well, it's easy to say, and I don't mean to be uh, trite about this, but you don't have a country if you don't have a border. And that's that's true regardless of where you're at. And and it's, it's also true working both directions. Yeah. We, we know that. And it doesn't matter... Pick your European country, pick your socialist uh, uh, utopia in Scandinavia or alleged socialist socialist, uh, utopia in Scandinavia that, that, you know, Bernie Sanders or one of the other left-wing nuts would want to. Pick one. They all have much more stringent border and immigration policies than we do, including Mexico. I mean, Mexico is infinitely more strict than we are. Yet somehow the concept, the idea of us having 
a secure border. And, and I have a lot to say about the border because of my contacts within the intelligence community because there's much, much, much more happening at the border with regards to pure national security. And I'm not talking about the national security related to the additional burden of debt and the additional, even the security of those border towns yeah. that are being... Um, uh, I'm literally punished by the federal government for for some reason. It's almost like they've done something wrong because they're allowing criminals to come in and and they're these ranchers finding bodies on their dead bodies, dead children. They're uh, having to deal with the trash. They're having to deal with the crime. All of those things. That's a security issue as yeah, well. It is, yeah. I mean that that is that is ultimately the single most important. In fact. Dan, it's the only moral function of government is to protect its citizens from force and fraud, period, end of convo. You can, you can encapsulate that, and that's what it is. And the fact that our government is not doing that, both on the micro level by protecting those border communities and those border ranches and those border citizens, but as I said, because of our contacts within the intelligence community, we know it's even worse. We know who's really coming across that border. And they are catching some. And that's why we know is because they do catch some. But they're not catching thousands. Oh, no, no, no. And we found out overnight a quarter of a million have come across in the last 30 days that we know about. Mm. I mean, there's yeah. a, there's how many more that right. came, you know, in the dark of night that right. we didn't see. Nobody talks about the specific issues that this causes those border towns and cities and states. Let me just give you one example. 2018 and 19, two years. Now that's, that's before the flood really started. But in those two years alone, the Texas Department of Public Safety issued the demographics of the criminal acts committed in Texas against Texans by illegals all rolled in. 600,000 criminal acts committed against Texans by illegals in just two years. Can you imagine mm. what that looks like when you spread it across the nation now? And you see the mayors of these Yankee cities <laughs> I love it. I love are, it. Are, are now screaming bloody murder yeah. because... I mean, even Colorado, even Denver, yeah. Denver yeah. is yeah. busing um, immigrants to Chicago and New York. They can't even take it. And yet, as I said, why are they doing this to our southern border? You know it. You and I both know why. It is a punishment. It's in a, it's a punishment for the relentless voting for red uh, candidates. That's why. That's why Texas is being punished. They don't have to punish New Mexico as much as they yeah, do that Texas yeah. or Arizona, but that's what's happening. Well, um, it's going to be interesting to watch and see what happens. I think the reason they are doing this is because nobody wants to talk about this, but registered Democrat in number have very steadily decreased year after year after year. Yeah. And they can't function unless they have a very blue-collar base. I am positive they are wanting to get all of these illegals in here, and the next time they get another somebody in control in the House and the Senate, 
and somebody that's blue in the White House, they're going to come up with a plan and shove it through to make everybody legal, make everybody citizens, and that means they all have the right to vote, and then they'll start preaching. We got you in here. Mm -hmm. We got you housing. We got you health care. We're educating your kids. You're obligated to vote for our candidates. Even though there are a, there's a huge percentage of Hispanics that come here and they go away from the Democrats because they look at what that party is primarily about and they don't identify with it. Most, most of the Hispanic people are hardworking. They want to come here and make a life for themselves and their families, and they want to work. They want to work hard. There's a thread of conservative uh, Catholicism, obviously, yeah, in the yeah. Hispanic community. And then once you get south of the Mexican border, there's a thread of individuals coming over who know what communism looked like. Yeah. looks like because they're coming from Nicaragua. Yeah. And they're coming from those uh, other types of, uh, of uh, Central American societies where their parents, at the very least, if not themselves, have a very strong sense of what that is. And so they can smell a rat when they get here, yeah. which is why Miami is the largest conservative city in America. Who, who would have ever thought that Ron DeSantis or anybody else would get 11.5% of the vote in a city of that size. Name one other city in America that doesn't just vote blue consistently of that size, but actually gave the count to a, a very conservative governor. It's amazing. I think it's safe to note, too, six years ago, that wasn't the case. No. Before Donald Trump came into office with all of his flaws, social flaws, lack of social skills, those people began to see that the policies of a president directly impact their lives, what they can do, what they can't do, uh, how they can integrate into society. When you have a pro-business man in leadership that understands what business does and is able to implement a large part of his policies as he was, people see that. You, you you start putting money in people's pocketbooks, getting them good jobs, giving them good education, their kids, and you don't expect anything from them but them to uh, take on all of the stuff that goes with the right to be here and they're going to flourish in it. They're going to understand that. Uh Hispanic people in large are not stupid. No. They're just like us. They see, they consume facts, they digest them, and they're going to vote just like they're going to shop. They're going to shop with people in places where they're comfortable and believe those people are doing a good job Mm -hmm. for them. Same thing about politics. It's nuts and bolts, and it's not sophisticated. It's not elaborate. It's just plain simple. It all goes back to this, and we'll move on to something else. We're going to take our first break, but um, I just want to say this. Joe Biden, Homeland Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, (laughs) numerous other officials in the Biden cabinet and the administration, they do one thing that just sticks out louder and brighter than any other thing. They turn their back on enforcing federal immigration laws. Right. And they've gone one step further. They're suborning it yes. because they're inviting 
illegals to come in here. I expect Mayorkas, we had Congressman Mike Johnson on here, the uh, I guess last Friday, and he said one of the principal things that they're going after, they've already filed articles of impeachment against Mayorkas. He can be fired by a president. Other than that, the only way he can be removed is through impeachment. They're probably, I know there are a lot of Republicans in the Senate that think he's doing a bad job and want him to go. I would think there are some Democrats especially from the southern border towns in uh, Texas, in New Mexico, in Arizona, and California that would be for getting rid of these people. They know that's coming, and yet they still, they double down, they triple down, quadruple down on stupid. It's stupid, and they're on track. That's one thing you got to say about Democrats when it comes to policy They're all in. They get together. They support each other. They hate each other sometimes outside. But when it comes to Democrat Party political narrative, they are all about that. Steve Baker in the studio with us today. Good to have you here. Good to be here, Dan. How is the cinnamon roll? Well. (laughs) It's not all gone. I've got an entire pan over here that I'm going to uh, continue the process over these two hours. Maybe you'll want to come back in studio more often. I just might. <laughs> Steve Baker here. We're back after this. Hi, this is Jack, founder of Jack in the Box. Is the caller there? Mr. Box, Douglas Gopperts from Burger Week Magazine. Oh, hey. Doug. Doug's a respected fast food critic. I recently dined on your sourdough Jack combo. And? Perfection. The cheese, the jumbo patty, the golden sourdough bread, the french fries, bravo. Well, thank you. However, I found the dessert a bit dry. It doesn't come with dessert. The candy, the white round candy with the happy face. Was it wearing a scarf? Yes, I believe it was. Rosy cheeks, fuzzy earmuffs? Yes, that's it. Douglas, you ate a holiday ball. (gasps) We're giving one away free to customers who buy a sourdough jack combo. But they're not for dessert, they're for antennas. Or a pencil. Right. Well, that's going to improve your score dramatically. Excellent. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding Captain Label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. (laughs) Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. When a governor can tell a president, no rally in my state, it's time for some definitive truth. Here with the goods, again, Dan Newman. 
It's Tuesday, and Tuesdays are Steve Baker Day. Steve Baker is live in the studio today. You've spent a lot of time in Texas, haven't you? Yeah, recently. Um, I'm a native Texas. I was born in Houston, and uh, my family moved to South Louisiana when I was four, so I really don't consider myself a Texan, but when things go good over there, I like to tell everybody, oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm a Texan. When things go bad, it's like, I can't believe they're doing that. Do you know who Sheila Jackson Lee is? I do. Uh, that name, uh, unfortunately, rings a bell. <laughs> well, I, you know, if you say anything negative about Sheila Jackson Lee, you're automatically dubbed a racist because she's black. Right. But she just excoriates anybody that's white always and has the right to do it because She's in the House of Representatives. She's a Democrat, and she's Mm African-American. Well, she's back in the news. She's introduced a House bill that will criminalize, listen to this, conspiracy to commit white supremacy. The conspiracy to, and that is always the danger. You put conspiracy in front of any accusation or crime, or, or act of malfeasance of any kind, and then it becomes a thought crime. There you go. Well, the bill includes any criticism of non-white people that influence non-white people. Oh, my gosh. Such as something published or said online, someone who commits a hate crime. I want you to listen to her. She was getting some flack on the floor. And she just jumped up and made it clear what this is all about. Mr. Cole, I remember after 9-11 when we all worked together to ensure the protection of the American people through the Patriot Act and dealing with the FISA courts. We worked together because truth is important. And so I just want to simply be on the floor today to speak about truth. I work with my school boards across my district. I know that there's not one school board that does not welcome a parent to hear their voices because obviously they are partners in the education of our precious children. But in September 2021, the National School Board Association sent Mr. Biden a letter pointing to a trend of violence and threats against school officials. It included a brief reference to Mr. Smith's arrest incident and a long list of examples with a footnote to a news account of the meeting that mentioned the arrest in passing but without details like his daughter's Uh, the the, uh, daughter's action, assault. But the point is, is that this came about because there were threats against school board members. And so can we have truth here? And that's what I rise to bring to the attention of of this uh, body as relates to this committee and this select committee. Is it going to be truth finding? Or is this going to be a committee that is going to collect information or otherwise investigate citizens of the United States and gives the most right-wing members who may have an ax to grind to participate? Or is it going to be fair? Is it going to be a gross misuse of power with dangerous implications, unintended consequences, and could potentially expose general operations of our national security infrastructure, which will put American lives at risk? Let me be very clear. Russia is one of our most dangerous adversaries. We're in the middle of a national security quagmire. And to undermine that through investigations of the FBI and central intelligence is going to be extremely dangerous. 
The passage of this resolution would also give MAGA Republicans the ability to interfere in ongoing criminal investigations, including those investigating uh, that day that some declared was just a bunch of tourists on January 6, 2021. I've worked with my friends on the other side of the aisle. I've worked with Mr. Roy. But is this a question of truth? That is the issue that we stand here today. In this country, no one is above the law. And to suggest that some people should be because they don't agree with the force of law being applied to their activities is contrary to the very fabric of fairness, justice, and equality that America was founded on. Let me, as an aside, indicate that we know what has been in the headlines. Ten documents found uh, in a locked closet that Mr. Biden may have had. Well, you know what, Mr. Speaker? The process of the law is proceeding. The call was made, the documents were surrendered, if you will, and the process goes forward under the laws of this land. No one denied it, no one rejected it, no one did not in any way come to say anything other than follow the law. On the other hand, in Mar-a-Lago, no law was found. Look what they did, that evil former president. She's talking about the select committee that was created in the House specifically to investigate the way the federal government is attacking the American citizens, specifically, mm-hmm. I guess, primarily in the First Amendment thing. Right. And, of course, she uh, has to – I got to say this. I got to say this. At the end of this, she did what, if any person that is not black would say, they would immediately be excoriated. Mm-hmm. It was almost like she was saying – I, I like white people. I've got white friends. Right. I mean, if you turn that around the other way, that is kind of like the the epitome of the way, especially here in the South, to try to make yourself, even though you think racially, you speak racially and act racially, that you're not just because you have a friend that is black. Um, I'm sure she has whites on her staff. Well, you know she And does. she's obviously feels morally superior for having um, made those hires. I've worked together with people in the other party. <laughs> she right. hates Republicans. She... <laughs> but it all boils down to this. This bill that she's presenting and she's just talking about, I, I don't think she'll even present it because it will never make muster. No. Uh, you can't censor legally First Amendment expression of one's opinion And that's what she's actually talking about doing in this bill. You can't say anything ugly about any non-white person. Come on now. Right. I mean, that is the definition of the protection of the First Amendment. But, Dan, it's not just a black congresswoman saying that about speech that she finds offensive or that she deems offensive from a non-white person. Really, and let's have let's have a debate about what that looks like. Yeah, we won't even go there right now. But the where I'm headed with this is that this is pervasive, Dan. I am seeing this every single day in my social media threads. There is a large and growing segment of our population who are absolutely 100 percent in favor of our speech being limited, particularly. Uh, what they call offensive speech. Sure. By those on their side who get to pick what those words and what those phrases and what those thoughts are. 
And so what's offensive? Well, it's anything that disagrees with what they think. Well, could you give us the rules of that, the specifics? What can we say? What can't we say? Well, we won't know until we hear it. I mean, that's the road we're going down. The whole purpose of this select committee that is being put together, Mm -hmm. and it's already put together, is to stop the federal government if Facebook wants to do it, if Twitter wants to do it, if Instagram, if they want to do it, they're private corporations. They're not the government entities, but the government doing it is unconstitutional. And it seems like the Supreme Court, every quarter when they're in session, at least one First Amendment case comes up. And I always fall back to that old adage. First Amendment gives anybody the right to say anything that someone else disagrees with. Right. We can say it. It doesn't matter if they agree with it or not. We still have the right to say it. Now, if we act after that, that's where you get into some potential criminality. But speaking your mind, it's constitutionally protected. I don't think as powerful as they are, and they are a very powerful political party, this Democrat party, I don't think they can amend the Constitution and do away with the First Amendment. I don't believe they have that. And going back a step, if you have 80 FBI agents and several other staff members working in your building that actually their primary job is at the DHS or the CIA or whatever other three-letter agency you want to throw into the ring here, if you've got that many people working in your building, you're no longer a private company when it comes to speech if your primary business is speech that is it that's what twitter is that's what facebook is any of these other social media uh uh, youtube their primary business is in fact speech but when you allow the free the three-letter agencies to move in and office with you then you you've given up your uh claim to being able to do what you want to and to limit what you want to the government's involved and that makes it illegal Now, for those of you that don't understand, there is a big move on, and I believe that the the big social media giants are about to be called on the carpet. They're private entities. So what that means is they have a right to do whatever they want to do with their respective platforms. They can censor anybody they want. Uh, They can allow anything they want to go on their websites They can do all of that, and there is nothing the government can do because they're private entities. The government cannot step in, supposedly, and tell. That's actually written into the law. Just because a private entity, let's just say, they do something that abridges the First Amendment rights, well, if the social media platform does it from front to back, it's okay But the law says a government entity cannot use their power to get somebody in the private sector to abridge the First Amendment of any citizen. Mm -hmm. It it, it gets pretty complicated, but you know what? They make a lot of money because it is complicated. (laughs) Right. I mean, billions of dollars. Uh, Of course, our buddy at uh, Twitter's not making the money that he's accustomed to making, Elon Musk. Yeah. But he's doing a lot of good because he's exposing all of this stuff the way Big Brother 
has inserted itself. You just mentioned that you got all these three-letter agency people that uh, are either officing in some of these buildings, or if not, they're on speed dial, right? And they're having conference calls. What's going to happen? What needs to happen is Section Two Thirty is the big Kahuna in all of this. And what is that? That's what Congress passed to protect. It gives indemnity to the social media giants for any content that's posted. Years ago, way back at the beginning, they all huddled up and went to D.C. and said, look, we're, we're private entities, so we don't have the power of the federal government, and we can't afford to exist. We can't operate if we have to censor every little word and make it fit in so that it's not breaking the law. We need you to step in and indemnify us, keep us from being sued for the content on our sites that someone else that's a poster puts out there. We don't have any say-so about that. And if we censor them, we're violating their First Amendment rights. That's been bandied around for year, year after year. Congress session after session trying to find a way to call big tech on the carpet, but it never has happened. Why is that? Well, first of all, <laughs> there's money. Exactly. Follow the it's, money. It's Follow the money. the money. It's the money, but it's also the collusion between the federal government and these big tech companies yeah. and by who has been controlling the federal government for the last many years and by the bureaucrats. Because even, let's just be honest, even when the GOP had the presidency, they had the House, they had the Senate, was anything done about 230 during that no, two years? No, no, of course not. It wasn't addressed at all because the, bureauc- the bureaucracy itself is colluding with big tech. And that's ultimately what has to be Busted up. If you want, to. if you want a trust buster, that's the trust we want to break up. And I think the simplest way to do it would be to terminate Section Two Thirty. Make them be accountable. Uh, I can tell you, if they ever do that, what's going to happen is you're going to have a line of lawyers outside the door at the major uh, social media platform companies filing lawsuits against them for doing that. But you know what? That whole concept of social media, the structure, what it can do, what it can't do, who's involved, who's supervising it, and all that kind of stuff, that's an enigma. I guess Zuckerberg gets credit for inventing that. Was there anything before Facebook, like a social media platform? (laughs) There might have been something called MySpace. Old Tom over at MySpace. <laughs> yeah, that's that's back when we uh, we had the crank to crank up that's our right. computers. And before that, we had all of our little communities we had built on AOL. Yeah, remember yeah. that? Oh yeah, I still I still have my AOL address See, and I use it. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, I, I just I remember I got goosebumps the first time I ever signed into my computer and it spoke to me and it says, "You've got mail." <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. My computer talked to me. I don't think I ever got quite that into it. But anyway, <laughs> it, it was it was a good way to share information. Yeah. But not in real time. I mean, literally in real time. You can berate somebody in in Russia. We well, can't now because when he invaded Ukraine, Vladimir Putin shut down 
the internet, basically, from Russia. We had uh, approximately 800 subscribers to Truth News Network from Russia that were students at the University of Moscow and the international politics, that segment of of, uh, that education department, the leader of that wanted to pick a conservative American um, website and a liberal progressive, whatever you want to call them, website. And I don't know how or why, but we got picked. And so for two years, every story we printed, every word we said on TNN Live was being broadcast in Moscow. That uh, that day, I checked that day when Putin invaded, and all of those .ru and .yandex wow. emails were gone. They disappeared. So there you go. That's Russia. Are we headed towards being that top-down that government in power of everything that they could just flip a switch and stop us from communicating with each other. Well, we know that they can flip the switch. We saw what happened to Parler immediately after oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Biden was elected. So we know that, that we know that there's a switch on every one of these uh, countries, our, our companies, and there's a switch for our individual access as well. But they're doing it in different ways right now. They call it shadow banning. They call it reach restrictions. They call it uh, throttling of our speech, that sort of thing. I saw one last night, a page that I follow on on Facebook. And this page was just making the the basic simple math uh, argument about how much eggs have gone up in the last uh, few months, but then also in the last few years as well. And they were able to track in their local community that the price of eggs had gone up 700%. Dan, they got fact-checked and suspended because the Facebook fact-checking entity determined that their math was wrong and that it was only 60%. (laughs) And and in Uh. fact... The fact checker was completely wrong, but they had the power oh, yeah. to limit speech yeah. over a math equation. Well, um, it's bad. I'm pretty sure it's going to get worse. Are you a woke person? <laughs> I'm awake, but I'm not woke. Are you into an understanding of the, uh, uh, the new god of, uh, I guess, which generation would it be? The two behind us. Which what, what are they? I don't know. What what are we in right now? Gen Z, and then we've got uh, Gen X, uh, and there's uh, the millennials. Is that the way? Am I going in the right direction? I think you're going in the right direction. We're going to take a break here, but when we come back, I'm going to tell you about the most egregious, stupid, wokeism practice that's happening right now, and it's happening. In Virginia, wokeness, and I've got some opinions about that whole process. Okay, we'll do that boomer. next. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. Grab an ice cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy, live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. 
We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're at Pilgrim, please make a decision. The I'm crazy hungry, so she's got to be too. Slide through the Mickey D's drive-thru to get a Big Mac. Right after I order her quarter pounder with cheese, because I don't know everything, but I do know what my girl's feeling hangry meal. Get it at McDonald's when you buy one of your faves, like the Big Mac, quarter pounder with cheese, 10-piece chicken McNuggets, or filet of fish, and get another for just a dollar. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid on item of equal or lesser value. New home ownership can be a real eye-opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from The Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates, now at homedepot.com slash workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus, you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101, only at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops. So going into the break, I asked Steve Baker, who's in studio with us today, glad to have you here. And of course, you came to get some goodies too. I mean, you know why I'm here. Oh yeah. Your wife knows why I'm here. Oh yeah. Marianne makes the most amazing homemade bread, cinnamon rolls, and king cake. And for those of you that aren't from Louisiana, you don't understand what a king cake is. And I'm not even going to try to explain it to you (laughs) other than it's like the next level of yeah. cinnamon rolls, and it comes out around Mardi Gras every year. Yeah. Um, but she made, and she has never, not one time, made me a whole pan of cinnamon rolls. I got take I, with me. Do y'all have something going on that I don't know yeah, about? You know. <laughs> I mean, you're a single guy. <laughs> anyway, um, he's eating. Oh, he finished that one cinnamon roll. He's got the rest the of the pan to take with him. Right. But it's good to have you here. It's always good to share. We we think a lot alike. Uh, politically, just so you understand, you know where I am. I'm conservative. I'm not Republican. I'm not Democrat. I'm a registered independent. And I think Steve Baker may be a little further to the right than I am, but not very far. If you consider libertarianism yes. further to the right as I do. You know, some people don't see they, they they come up with these complicated political graphs and they try well, to Well they test have to justify and, their particular perspective, right, right. you know. But I I see things very simply in a left, right, linear, single line. Same here. And the more you're willing to give up your individual liberty, so you have pure anarchism anarchism on the far right. Right. You have pure um authoritarianism, communism on the far left, and every little thing that you concede, okay, I'm okay with the government doing that, or I'm okay with acceding my particular right over to the government for that. You move a little further down the left spectrum. And that's and I, and so I, if you consider libertarianism further to the right of conservatism, then yes, you've defined our two uh, places on that graph accurately. Just as an aside... Marianne's listening. She's she's gone, but she's listening. She said, "Thank you, Marianne. You are full of." And then the little triangle poop <laughs> meme. 
you are full of that. You've had your own pan of cinnamon rolls. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I think that it's it's critical, especially for this generation that we are now actually bringing in to run our our nation. They need to understand that. They need to understand not just I'm a member of a political party and I'm liberal or I'm uh, conservative because I'm a member of a, of a political party. Everybody needs to understand what that all means 24-7 in everyday life. Let me give you an example. Glenn Youngkin, you know who he is. Mm-hmm. You spend a lot of time in D.C. He's, he's not far away in Virginia. Yeah. He is the, I guess he's still considered to be a newly elected governor. He's a Republican. And he came out yesterday slamming the maniacal, his word, maniacal, I love that word, maniacal decision by seven schools in a woke school district to hide merit awards from top students to boost equity. (laughs) Equity. Right. As the AG, Attorney General, warns, that move could have cost youngsters college scholarships. So this is in Fairfax, Fairfax County, right mm-hmm. outside of D.C. Seven high schools recently admitted to not informing students of some very prestigious national awards that they received. And they did it right. because they didn't want to hurt the other one's feelings. Right, And consequently, those students couldn't put those awards on their applications to uh, these institutions of higher learning. And as a result of that, may have been passed over for certain scholarships and maybe even entry itself, acceptance. And that stuff nowadays, especially, it follows you all the way into your professional career. That's right. They, they go back now because of social media. You go, you go apply for a job. I can tell you this, Capital One Bank a couple of other big corporations that I know, when you go apply for a job, they send a form across the desk to you if they're really interested in you. Give me your logins for Twitter, for Facebook, (laughs) for all of them. Your logins. Logins, because they want to go see what you produced and wrote and what is being posted on your social media sites. It's that big a deal. And maybe you, know, you would think, okay, they're holding them honest. It may be because of stuff like this. They want to make sure you're woke. <laughs> I, I wanted to segue from this thing about uh, the, uh, it, it's the participation trophy yeah. mantra from, I guess, a decade or so ago. We didn't give out, nobody won the most valuable player award in a league athletically because they didn't want to offend anybody and everybody on the team got an exact same participation trophy. It's wrong for somebody to win and somebody to lose. Everybody needs to win. Life doesn't work that way. Out in the other world, out of the educational world, and they should be the ones that know it, it's not just the awards that you've been given. It's what you bring to the table. What you can do and what you will do for that job when you go to apply for a job, you got to be qualified and they want to know looking over your shoulder in preparation for this job, were you successful? 
by the measure that everybody uses in the marketplace now commercially because you can't stay in high school forever. You got to come out. Even if you don't go to college, you got to come out and get a job. Even if you go to college, you got to get a job. This whole thing, this wokeism, this cloud of um, being able to put a label on somebody, it can't sustain itself. It's physically impossible for it to sustain itself. Now, what does that mean? My opinion here, you can't denigrate somebody without letting somebody else appear to be better. And you can't make somebody better than have somebody that they're better than, Mm -hmm. smarter than, more talented than, better than. And that doesn't fly in this mantra of wokeism and yet it has spread, it's, it's spread like COVID-19 across the United States, and it's done it very quickly. I think all of this began to develop during the lockdowns when the only thing you had was social media. <laughs> hey, let's come up with an idea so we can really jack with people's mind. Are you awake? What do you mean awake? Yeah, I'm not asleep. Well, no, I'm talking about... Are you at the level of understanding and appreciation for the things that we say are important? And then they came up with the label, woke. Mm -hmm. It's unsustainable because somebody's always got to be lesser for you to be better or more than. And that's the United States of America, but it's also in every other country on the planet. And that's in contradiction to their own theory about uh, equity. I mean, first of all, if your end goal is equity of outcomes for every one of us, there is no freedom in our society. There is zero liberty. When you take that as the 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 ends that justify justifies those means, the means are always the diminishment of our individual liberties in order to get us there. That's the first thing. And then, as you said, when we're talking about this wokeism, they want us or they want to, they want to feel better than us. They want to feel better than, well, it's a, it's just another way because they don't even understand what they're doing of them elevating their own position above you. So they are better than you. That's what they're saying. They don't know it, but it's the same thing. And it, and it, it takes me in so many different directions in my mind. We've all heard about the 80-20 rule. You know, you've yeah. got uh, 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. R- studies now, I mean, we're talking about empirical, peer-reviewed scientific studies, say it's much worse than that. It's probably 2% or less doing 98% or more of the work in whatever job, corporation, church committee, association. That's the way the human beast works. The cream of the crop rises when there's no pressure, when there's no governments that is enforcing some sort of artificial equity or artificial equality. Then it allows the the skilled, the talented, the driven, the motivated, those who have the creative mind to rise to the top. But if you take that ability away, then they don't. Wokeism cannot thrive unless it morphs into something else. And I think the inventors of the terminology and the religion of wokeism had that planned 
it's got to morph into pure socialism. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's the only place it can go and be sustained. And I think, I think they knew that when this all was created. And you brought up the term equity. Equity is not what is promised in the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence for anybody. We're not promised equity. We're promised equality. What equality is, is you and me, you're a totally different person from me. Uh, I don't know what your skills are other than the stuff that I specifically know. You don't know mine for the same reason. But it boils down to this. You and I each have under the Constitution the same rights to go out and attempt to achieve anything and everything we want to. Mm -hmm. It doesn't guarantee there's going to be success. That would be equity. That's right. And the reason the left devoured and loves this wokeism and this equity mantra that came from wokeism is because for there to be equity, that means somebody makes the arbitrary determination of what is equitable. It can't just happen. It can't be the fruit of hard work of people. It has to be somebody at the top that makes the decision. Look at what this guy did. Look at what this guy did. That guy did too much. He did better. So I'm going to make the equity thing be that we take from him and give to this guy over there so that it's equitable. We can't survive without everything being equal. There's no way everything will ever be equal. It can't possibly exist. That I can't imagine staying awake at night and thinking through all of that. It's kind of like uh, a habitual liar. <laughs> all they do is lie all the time. Right. So it's a hard job. They have to work hard at it. What do you mean, Dan? Well, when they go to bed every night, they got to remember, well, I'm going to see so-and-so tomorrow. What did I say to them last time I was there? I got to remember what lie I told them That's because right. I'm sure that'll come up and I want to make sure I get it right. It's a, it's a, it's a full-time job. That is permeating every area of our social lives. Our kids, especially my grandkids. Do you have grandkids? I'm not yet. Thank okay, you. Okay, I know you've had children. We have six grandkids. Buddy, they're light years ahead of where I was. I mean, I can't imagine a world. I look back now, I can't imagine a world without a cell phone. Uh, they oh, look at right. you when you even bring that up. If I said that in front of my six grandkids, um, they would look at me like, what do you mean? There have always been phones. Everybody's had phones. They don't understand the concept of having it be tied to a wall right. before you could ever dial anybody. They don't get that. We live in a technological age that, brought some good in, but it also is the tool that works best for this widespread of this wokeism slash socialist wannabe light. I think that's that's where that particular area of our society is going. And thankfully, thankfully, there's a huge crowd of people that are in the public eye, not just in politics, but that are up there and they're they're making fun of these people. You know, it is ridiculous. I hear some of the stuff I hear, Steve. It makes absolutely no sense. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, I think it's the world that we live in. We're both journalists, the people that we interact with. Oh, my gosh. I don't know where some of these people get the stuff that they deal deal with. Yeah, uh, It's like, uh, well, we got to find something. We got to find something because we got to have news. We don't have anything to talk about today. So what can we do? And it becomes a round robin thing. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you remember that thing when we were kids, uh, the teacher would whisper in one student's right, ear right. and they would whisper it to the next kid, and the next kid. And by the time it gets back to the teacher, it ain't nothing like it was that she said. Right. That's the way human nature works. That's exactly right. Do you like Dave Rubin? I do, actually. I am a David Rub- uh, Dave Rubin fan, as a matter of fact, and I uh, my my primary home on the Internet is our locals community, which was founded right. by Dave Rubin. Yeah, he's really big into that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big fan. I have been for a long time. I like his podcast. I like the way he distributes it. You can get it in pieces. Right. If you, if you just go on YouTube and click on Dave Rubin, his stuff will come up. But if you do it enough, three or four times, without subscribing to anything, you'll start getting every day, you'll get the short ones, right. the two or three minute mm-hmm. things that he drops in nuggets. And he's not an entrenched Republican. No. He's not. I think he's a libertarian. I've never he heard him say that. He definitely is. But he yeah. thinks like you, and uh, he's he's really good at verbalizing it. He weighed in on Senator Ron Johnson Sunday, hmm. was on Face the Nation with, um, oh, what's his name? Chuck Todd, one of the least credible journalists on television today, right. Chuck Todd. And Ron Johnson was talking about something going on and, um, of course, the experts have to weigh in and tell Ron Johnson, because he's a Republican. Of course. He, he's not worthy. Reuben had some thoughts to say about it. Plus, you'll hear the back and forth between the two, Johnson and, and uh, Chuck Todd. Here is Ron Johnson basically being gaslit by Chuck Todd about media partisanship and bias. As I've been saying lately, the Republicans are growing balls and it's freaking people out. I, I'm I'm concerned about getting the truth. I don't target individuals. Target individuals. I target you don't. You're targeting Hunter Biden. My, my, my concern. Times my concern. Show, my, Senator, you're targeting an Chuck, individual. Chuck, my, my concern. My, my, you know, Chuck. You know, par, part of the problem, and, and this is pretty obvious to anybody watching this, is you don't invite me on to interview me. You invite me on to argue with me. You know, I'm just trying to lay out the facts that certainly Senator Grass and I uncovered. They were suppressed. They were censored. They interfered in the 2020 election. Conservatives understand that. Unfortunately, liberals in the media don't. And that's part of the things yeah. that, uh, part, of, part of the reasons our politics are inflamed is we do not have an unbiased uh, media. We don't. It's unfortunate. I'm all for a free press. Well, it needs Senator, to be more unbiased. Senator, There's look, misinformation is, look, on both partisan, sides, but the censorship Senator, look, we're trying to do issues here and facts. Partisan cable, look, you can go back on your partisan cable cocoon and talk about media bias all you want. I understand it's part of your identity. Let me move to... Chuck Todd, man, you are terrible. You are absolutely terrible. Chuck Todd, I don't pretend to be a journalist. I don't. I suppose at some level, some version of what I'm doing here has something to be, something related to journalism. But what I am doing is I am trying to see what's going on out into the world, trying to give people an honest assessment of it, not hiding what my biases are. I obviously tell you what my opinions are, and it's very clear. What he does, 
as a quote journalist. This is someone who pretends to be a journalist. He works at a giant corporation. He puts on his suit. He points with the pen. And he pretends that he is unbiased. So at the end there, you go back to your biased cocoon. Oh, you are the biased cocoon, man. It's just that mirror thing that I keep talking about. These people just need a mirror. Everything they accuse everyone else of is exactly what they're guilty of. Ron Johnson was just laying out facts there. Here's what we know was going on, right? Here is the fact that we know Hunter Biden was involved in some level of sex trafficking because of the information we found out on the laptop, the laptop that was censored by big tech that you guys all pretended to ignore, that Chuck Todd, I have no doubt we can probably find video on this. At the height of the whole thing, there is no doubt that Chuck Todd was one of the people promoting that idea that, you know, the 50 FBI agents or what was it, the 50 CIA operatives, intelligence officers who all said it was Russian misinformation. And then, of course, it was not. So you have Chuck Todd. He uh, he goes to the GE building in Manhattan, Midtown Manhattan every day. He's insulated by a bunch of other people that, Look, act, <laughs> and think just like he does. Right. And they call it a news network. You know, NBC News, they've been around. Oh, my gosh. They're the experts just because they've been doing it so long. And because they live in a world, you don't define journalism by sitting in a cocoon and just listening to what people around you are saying reading what people around you are writing, watching newscasts of other people, and that's all you do, and you come up with a formulated idea, it may be crap, and in many cases, that's exactly what it is, but that doesn't matter because Chuck Todd's Chuck Todd. He's yeah. been at NBC since I was a baby. Uh, <laughs> that's all that matters. So anything he says, it's okay. And so he brings a sitting U.S. senator who is one of the hardest working senators in the Congress. Right. And he just, from the very beginning, he laughs at him. He denigrates him. He makes fun of him. That is media today. That's what is out there. I'm not only a fan of Dave Rubin, but I'm a big fan of Senator Ron Johnson. As am I. He is one of that uh, small that I can count on one hand group of senators who I actually trust. You had an interaction with him, didn't uh, you? I, we've had one going back uh, over a year now and then also now more recently as a result of my investigation with this whistleblower, right. uh, United States Capitol Police officer. But the... Within a week of my receipt or my attorney receiving the letter from the, the Department of Justice that I was going to be prosecuted for my own journalism on January 6th, less than a week later, I got a phone call from somebody who said, here is Senator Ron Johnson's number. This was at like 9.15 one night. Uh, it was the night before Thanksgiving. And he said, uh, the senator is expecting your call. And I said, when? He said, Now. <laughs> <laughs> right now. So I'd rang the number and a uh, gentleman answered the phone and I said, is this Senator Johnson? He said, it's Ron. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I didn't know where to go from there. He's a Yankee and he's being nice on that, the phone. Exactly. So not only was this guy from uh, Wisconsin, uh, of all of all of the things, Dan, that he could have been concerned about that night, on the night before Thanksgiving, He's at home with his family on his holiday, away from the swamp. 
and he's concerned about a guy who lives in North Carolina, not in his district, not in his state, who's from Louisiana, straight south from him as far as you can go. He was concerned about my persecution by the federal government and my First Amendment free speech rights as a journalist being squashed by the federal government and told his aide to have me give him a call. So I've got a soft spot for him. But then more recently, in this investigation that we spoke about last week, uh, we probably will spend a little time on it today because I have more information with regards to this whistleblower out of the United States Capitol Police, again related to January 6th. Well, last night, um, uh, Lieutenant Tarek Johnson actually gave me an, an exclusive. He made and issued a press release, a statement, just a single statement. And I'll read it to you right now. This is from uh, Capitol Police, former Capitol Police officer, uh, Lieutenant Derek K. Johnson. He said, I recently made the decision to leave the Democratic Party to be unaffiliated for now for various reasons I choose not to get into at the present time. I submitted my application for this purpose today through my state's website. I hope and pray that the new Republican-led Congress can uncover what really occurred on January 6th. I thank Senator Ron Johnson for his call for a full accounting of the highly concerning Capitol Police failures for the delayed January 6th evacuations. So Ron Johnson is now on this with us. Where the rubber meets the road in being a leader is you get down in the dirt, on your knees, whatever it takes to help the people that you're representing mm. when they have needs. It's not about it's, it's not about Ron Johnson. Let me give you a correlate. Years ago, this just popped into my mind. Let's talk about somebody that we probably can agree is pretty close to being the number one narcissist on the planet. <laughs> Former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Here's the way I envisioned her life. At some point when she was a young woman, she decided that she was going to live in her own house. And so she built her house. The walls are mirrors. The floor is mirrors. And the ceiling is mirrors. And therefore, whoever she saw, she would communicate with, she would be honest with, she would share with. Well, who is that? It was her. Her. <laughs> but then she met Paul, good-looking guy, handsome, and she decided to open the door and let Paul come in that room of mirrors and live there with her. So they both, all they saw were mirrors. And you can follow, we could go on and on and on talking about where this goes to, but she ends up in Congress, gets elected Speaker of the House. She still lives in her house of mirrors. She purposely doesn't let anybody come into that house of mirrors that she doesn't want to interact with. She doesn't have to see them. Mm -hmm. Therefore, she doesn't have. That describes so many people that are up on the hill. So many of them, once they get there, it's like this. And I'm folding my arms. Okay, I'm here. I'm the boss. I'm the important one. I know everything. 
and they don't want to communicate with anybody. They don't want to honestly converse with anybody. They don't want to hear anybody else's opinion. And yet they're supposed to represent 535 of them are supposed to represent people that live in the states that elected them, the Senate senators and 435 in the House of Representatives that each represent a little flock of people that live in their district back home. How much of that really happens? Not very much. Hmm. We wouldn't be in the condition we find ourselves in today if they still went up there the way they did 250 years ago. They went up there. You know, the House was purposely made to be two-year terms. Those were people, citizens in small towns, villages, big cities. But they sacrificed, made a commitment, and their people wanted them to be the ones to do it for two years. Go to D.C. and represent us. You represent us back here in the town in which you live. And then you come home, and somebody else is going to go do the same thing. And then on the Senate side... Those were the officers that would represent the states. And I don't know if if you know this, a lot of people don't know it. Originally, they were not elected. Correct. They were appointed by governors. Mm -hmm. And then those people that were appointed by governors, a bunch of them moved into houses and mirrors. (laughs) And they they did see their compadres across in the the house that they were campaigning. That meant they got to go out Mm -hmm. and ask somebody to give them money and I'll vote for your stuff when you send me up there. So the Senate said, man, we like that. Well, who makes the rules of operations in the Congress? Congress. So they just threw it out there and said, well, we decided that's not working. We can get more involved face-to-face with the people of our state if we get to go campaign. We need to be elected. They need to have a voice. It doesn't just need to be one man or one woman in the governor's mansion that makes that decision. But it's all about me, me, me. Mm -hmm. And there aren't that many that have broken out of that. Ron Johnson, I don't know him personally, but watching him and listening to him, I think he is the epitome of that. Break the walls in the mirror and just step out and integrate with everybody that's part of your life and make them be important instead of just being me. Well, obviously, since that phone call uh, over a year ago now, I've paid very close attention to uh, Senator Johnson's career arc, his obvious re-election here recently. Uh, very happy that he did uh, win that re-election. But and just because a Republican gets elected office in Wisconsin on either side, the House yeah. or the Senate, it's a big deal. But you know what the left in the, in Wisconsin say is the only reason why he was elected and won re-election is because his candidate was black, which reveals the quiet racism in that no. northern state. Oh, no, yes, those, yes. those are Yankees. Yes, yes, yes. They yes. all were in the union. That's uh, that's what they say. Oh, my gosh. I saw How it. could it be? I saw it on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be true. <laughs> exactly. So... Do you want to dive into an update for us on the J6 stuff and the and the new things going on, or do you want to wait? We are we're forty five minutes left in the show. Your call. Let's dive. Let's dive in as soon as you're ready, uh, or we can take a break and fill up our coffee cups, whichever you want to do. I'm I'm happy to go right now. Or 
why don't we do this? Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to get into the, the latest yeah. on the January 6th stuff. And there was there was somebody that was exonerated for one particular charge. It was so big, the Epic Times wrote a story about it, I think yesterday or the yeah. day before. You give us that information mm-hmm. and give us uh, the latest update on your investigations and the stuff that you have found. Incidentally, if you did not yet read our front page story at truthnewsnet.org today, it's Steve Baker's story, his latest. This is a part one of a couple of stories in a series about the series about the J6 thing. Make sure you go read it. It's at right on the front page, truthnewsnet.org. We're going to be back and get into the nitty gritty with Steve Baker right after this. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at you, savings coming at you. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. Square Packages, the packaging specialists, are proud to present a box on both your houses. The untold story of the invention of the box and the family rivalry that nearly destroyed it. It's a tale about opening your heart, finding acceptance, and inventing the most efficient means of shipping and packaging that mankind has ever known. Proving that to find what's in your soul, you have to look outside the box and into another box, which is a house your home. And that truly is the greatest box of all. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 for this once-in-a-week-time television event, A Box on Both Your Houses, presented by Square Packages, the packaging specialists. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. And Steve Baker today, Tsunami of ignorance, what a great phrase! I, like I was that. I was going to address that as soon as I heard that because I think where we're headed right now is addressing head on the tsunami of ignorance. I honestly I think we're already in it, treading water. Well, I'm going to tell you something that's really frightening: is the wave, the tsunami is coming from both directions. Yeah, and that's what is really tough. When you talk about stemming the tide, you really feel like you need to be Moses in the middle of the Red Sea, holding out your arms at both sides of the waves. So far we've been okay with doing that, but I, I, you know, unless we get some real powerful people that are totally committed to be government of the people, by the people and for the people, I don't know how long it can last. The wall of water is going to come crashing down. Yeah. So a lot of this came to light in the aftermath of the January 6th 
What do you call it? It's not an insurrection. Was it a riot? Just a, a riot? Is that the easiest term to use? I think so because it, it that's the best middle of the road yeah. positioning. You catch of them our all. Language. You get everybody. We get everything yeah. right. Well, Steve, as you know, you're, he's here every Tuesday. He walked us through his latest uh, investigation, and it was long. It was lengthy. How many weeks were you in that trial? Uh, the, the trial itself was 10 weeks long, uh, including jury selection. I was not there for that week, but I was there for nine the nine weeks of the actual trial itself from beginning to end, all the way to the verdict. He, he shared, uh, we actually, he would step out of the courtroom and go live with yeah. us on the air sometimes during that nine weeks. But uh, in a little bit, we're going to give him, uh, give your give you his information so you can go back and grab all the stuff. Yeah. His website is amazing. I mean, it's incredible. There's so much information. I love it uh, every day. And when you don't post something, I get mad because there's <laughs> nothing new there. He's he's not working. Uh, if I'm not working, I'm uh, behind the wheel of my car yeah. headed to the next Going somewhere spot. to work. Right. Yeah. Give us the latest update on what you have found. Yeah, the the latest, Dan, is we continue to work on this process with the uh, United States Capitol Police whistleblowers. And that has uh, manifested itself primarily through, as I, I mentioned a while ago, this former uh, lieutenant for the United States Capitol Police. His name is Tarek Johnson. And he's more famously uh, aware to the American public because he's the um, the black officer who on January 6th, he donned the red Trump MAGA hat and then began the process of recruiting a couple of Oath Keepers from the crowd to go in and rescue what he thought were about a dozen of his own Capitol Police officers who were trapped in the rotunda by some of the more adjutant and uh, more riotous uh, protesters that day, possibly dangerous, they didn't know. And so by the time they executed that rescue, and brought those officers out. They had they had pulled 16 Capitol Police officers out of that crowd and successfully and and made them made their way through the crowd without any problems from the uh, the the protesters, the rioters alike. And as a result of that particular situation, then Officer Johnson made international headlines. International, not just here, but. The reason why he made headlines was not for his heroic rescue and for doing the logical and right thing of recruiting help from people that this crowd would, would respect, uh, a couple of Oath Keepers, but also for putting on what he called his helmet, which was a red MAGA hat, because even though he was wearing the uniform of the Capitol Police, he knew that if he borrowed that hat from someone, that this particular hat would act almost as a shield, and he called it his helmet the, of protection so that he could successfully move or maneuver through that um, that crowd, whether he, he not knowing himself who was violent and who had ill intent or who was just there uh, as a peaceful protester. You don't know in that situation. He certainly didn't know, but he logically figured out a way to make that happen for himself and for these other officers. As a result of that, he was disciplined by the United States Capitol Police. 
He was suspended for 17 months. He was he had his rank busted down from lieutenant to private. And then during that 17 months, he was put under a gag order, was not just not allowed to speak to press or anyone else. He wasn't even allowed to hold a conversation with another member of the Capitol Police, even his best friend, because that friend was also an officer with the United States Capitol Police, and he couldn't even speak to him for 17 months. After all of the legal wranglings were done, after they successfully got his uh, his not only his uh, rank back to lieutenant, but also his the, the paycheck that goes along with being a lieutenant, he was then given his job back, and guess what they did? They led him to his new job, and it was an interior closet office with no windows and said, here, Lieutenant Johnson, this is where you're going to serve out the rest of your time before retirement. And he said, no, I quit. And then That's what they wanted. That's right. And then some months later, uh, through our, our process, and when I say our, uh, I was collaborating with uh, Joe Hanneman from the uh, Epic Times on this story. And through our processes, we eventually uh, came to the place where we were able to do a sit-down interview with uh, Lieutenant Johnson in D.C. and also an unnamed, another unnamed source, uh, as yet unnamed, uh, for another former Capitol Police officer. 30 years, 30-plus uh, 30 years on that force. And as a result of those interviews, we were able to successfully hear, what, what, what is today, Tuesday? So I think it was last Tuesday was our first story. Was it that morning? Yeah, that we, morning. We got on yeah. So it was the first story hit. Uh, then, I, of course, uh, the night before last in the wee hours of the morning, 3 o'clock, I hit publish on my most recent story about this uh, particular oath, uh, um, not oath keeper, but this particular uh, United States Capitol Police officer, as well as telling the story of what, from their perspective and what they saw. And this was a very, very daunting process for me, Dan, because as we were talking about the tsunami of ignorance, and I said that the tsunami waves are coming from both sides, there's a tremendous amount of ignorance about the events of January 6th on the left. I would say not because I come from the right, but because I know who their media source is and what their media bubble is and the island that they get all of their information about, that the ignorance on that side is much greater than it is on the right, but the ignorance on the right does exist because there is a large faction of people on the right who want to believe that all of those protesters, that all of those violent perpetrators that day were uh, Antifa members wearing, you know, the the sheep's clothing of Donald Trump gear. And then they also believe that every single officer was involved in a conspiracy. So if they were United States Capitol Police officer, a Metropolitan uh, Police officer, uh, FBI, whatever, that they were all involved in a conspiracy that day to create the narrative to deliver that on a silver platter to Pelosi and then bring down uh, the the GOP, the right wing, the Second Amendment, and everything that that, that sure, fringes yeah. off of that. Oh, yeah. That's there's a there's a tremendous amount of people on the right. After publishing this story and my prediction about who would attack me on this story proved not only absolutely correct, I have had ninety percent of the of of 
uh, well, 90 plus percent of all the comments have been positive about this story. But the other 10%, 90% of the pushback is coming from the right because they genuinely believe that these frontline officers were involved in a conspiracy to bring down Trump or to bring down the GOP or whatever. And, and Dan, that's just not the case. These guys, and, it, and I wrote the story in this in a story form. I actually opened the story. Uh, imagine if you would, you know, if you will, that you're in this place. Almost like I tried to put them in the scene, the first scene of 25 minutes of Saving Private Ryan, for instance. You know, without that first 25 minutes to reach out there and grab you by the throat, that that's what, you know, ah, man, that that opened the story up and you had to hang on to the to the end because of that first 25 minutes. And I tried to open this story by putting people in the position of it doesn't matter whether you had been with the United States Capitol Police for two months, two years or 20 years. You know what your career has mostly consisted of working at that building? You, Even though you're wearing a cop's uniform and a sidearm and a badge, you're you're mostly a glorified tour guide. Yeah. That's People what they ask say. you questions right. and you show them where to go. Yeah. Even a, a brand new com, uh, elected yeah. congressman, where's the yeah. bathroom? <laughs> you know? Well, you've been in the Capitol. You know yeah. how vast yeah. it is. Yeah. And there, you know, it's just been added on, added on. We don't know all of the infrastructure Correct. of our capital because it is ours. That's right. And purposely so. Uh, but I can only imagine Capitol Police, in addition to being law enforcement, glorified tour guys in some cases, yeah. you're political just because that's you're right. at the Capitol and you're a cop. That's right. And, and that's the whole thing. Yeah. Just being a cop. I had people attacking my article. Now, it's obvious. I can tell when they don't read it. They look at the headline yeah. and they write their yeah. comments, and I can tell when they don't read it. But I had people attacking my article and attacking me and then attacking them by saying, well, you shouldn't um, take on a job protecting and drawing the paycheck from a corrupt government. Otherwise, I have no sympathy for you. I have no grace for you. I don't care what happened to you. And they, they would literally say, I don't, I, I, they said, I have no, I have no respect for them or their families if they were working as an officer of the government guarding Congress. That element you're talking about, they would have said that the perfect world was to have a bunch of Donald Trump clones that were the cops, that were yeah. members of Congress, and ran everything. Right. Um, forget about the establishment of our government, what it was to be and what it's supposed to be today, which it's not. Right. This whole thing illustrates that it ain't what it's supposed to be and it's certainly not what it used to be. And that's why I wrote this article specifically setting it up as if, asking all of my readers to imagine, if you will, you showed up to work that day and for however many years before, your job that day was to show VIP visitors or someone else or tourists where the restroom is. Yeah. And you show up for work that morning, and then all of a sudden, on the radio, you hear this thing call out, the barricade has been breached, the barricade has been breached, we need reinforcements on the west side. All available units go to the west side now. And you're like, you're on the east side. Like, what? What? You, you're on the east side of the Capitol building, Dan, that morning, and you don't even know 
that the president is speaking at the ellipse a mile away. And you know why? Because your commanders have, for some reason, failed to let you know that hundreds of thousands of people have traveled to D.C. that day for a protest. Your commanders have also chosen, for some reason, to not tell you that despite the fact that they have issued permits for protests, rallies, and marches on the Capitol grounds that day, and I have seen those permits with my own eyes signed by the leadership of the United States Capitol Police. For some reason, they didn't tell their frontline officers that day that this was coming their way. And the first thing you hear is reinforcements are needed on the west, lower west terrace, and you then run over there. You don't have any protective gear. You don't have eye protection. You don't have a gas mask. You don't have a shield. You don't even have a helmet. All you got to do is a little, all you've got is your little United States Capitol Police ball cap on. If you came from one of their bike, you know, one of their yeah, mountain yeah, bike you, units, you've got you, a bike helmet. you might have a yeah. bike helmet on. Yeah. And you show up all of a sudden at one o'clock p.m. that day, and people are there and attacking your fellow officers. And when I got there at 119, and the battle line was fully engaged, I saw fear in their eyes, shock, fear. And can you imagine this? So you, you had no idea that this wasn't going to be just another normal day at the office when you got there. But suddenly at 1 p.m., you're getting the crap beat out of you by guys with blunt force objects, they're tearing metal. They're, they're literally breaking. I've got this on my own video camera where they're breaking and smashing and dismantling these black uh, painted metal fence, permanent fencing structures yeah. and turning those into clubs and turning those into projectile spears and launching it at the, launching them at the officers. I've captured this on my own video. And as this is happening to you, you're looking over the heads and over the shoulders of this front line of people doing this. Now, they're not pulling firearms out. You don't see any AR-15s. There are not any handguns being waved in your direction. But you're just getting hit by flagpoles, um, <laughs> people that were that had turned axe handles and put little flags on axe handles. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, not just little bitty tiny defensive canister sprays of pepper spray. Yeah, but the some big of the, ones. Yeah. But some of these people are showing with showing up with tanks yeah. of pepper spray. Yeah. These people came with violent intentions. Yeah. This is not the way you attend a peaceful rally with the president of the United States. And you're looking over the heads and the shoulders of that front line of just a few, not a lot, of violent perpetrators, and you see tens of thousands of people coming your way and you have no idea what their intention is this picture that you just painted it takes me to one spot that i can't i just can't get figured out and that is why were they not notified where did the non-notification the non-preparation for this because leaders in Congress knew about it. They knew, they, they had known that the Trump administration 
had reached out in advance, notifying National Guard that they had been told by intelligence agencies there's a lot of talk out there. There's going to be some nasty stuff happens. A lot of people are coming to town and they're planning to do evil stuff. They reached out to the House Speaker, who technically is in control of the operations of the Capitol, whoever that would be, in coordination with the majority leader of the Senate. That would be Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. And they just summarily said, nope, National Guard, don't come. It would be a bad look That's right. to have that many armed officers of any kind of uh, police. And I will tell you, I will tell you what uh, former uh, chief of police for the United States Capitol Police, Stephen Sun, said in his new book that just came out. He said, I'll tell you what a even worse look is than having the National Guard on the Capitol that day. What happened? <laughs> the riot itself. Because they weren't there. Right. Because he was in favor of that, according yeah. to his own uh, testimony, according to his own interview. He, in fact, uh, Joe Hanneman from the Epic Times was able to interview him just last Wednesday or Thursday. And the, 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 the idea that there was a breakdown or that there was intelligence um, information breakdown in terms of what was passed along to leadership that day, Dan, starts with a big B and ends with a big S. That is a lie. The other thing that they're trying to tell us is that there was a breakdown in the command uh, dissemination of that information to those frontline officers. That is another capital B and a capital S because that is an absolute lie. As you said before, it actually wasn't Schumer, although Schumer had to be very close, but it was Pelosi. Yeah, and it was uh, McConnell. McConnell was, in, was still in charge at that leader, time. Yeah. And then there were the two sergeants of arms. Sergeants at Arms, Sund and Stinger, the late Michael Stinger, by the way. And then you had all of the three-letter agencies involved, all of them with their own intel. The Capitol Police itself has its own intelligence division as well. And we, of course, talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Yes. This is a Yogananda Pittman who's now got her cushy job in Berkeley, California, as the chief of police of the UC Berkeley. But this, this, this is not an intelligence failure, and this is not a breakdown in the dissemination of this intelligence. Dan, some of these permits for the actual protests, not, not at the Ellipse, not at the Washington Monument, at the not at the White. These were at the Capitol. They were issued before December 19th. When President Trump announced his rally at the Ellipse, some of these permits were issued before that, long before that event was even scheduled, because January 6th is an actual thing. It's, it wasn't just a thing that day. It's become, uh, well, it's become a cause celeb now because of what happened two years ago. But January 6th has always been a thing because that's the day when Congress convenes and the vice president goes to the Congress and they vote on ratifying the electoral college results. It's a, th- it's a constitutional thing. Knowing that it's a thing, groups all over the country file for permits every four years on January 6th 
in order to hold their little protest. Now, obviously, this was going to be a bigger day than the normal January 6th, way before the president announced. The point being is, is that the United States Capitol Police leadership knew it and for some reason failed or deliberately didn't notify their officers. And according to my interview and the testimony of Lieutenant Tarek Johnson, he did the math for me. And we've heard a whole lot of numbers about how many of those uh, USCP officers were there that day and why they were so understaffed. Basically, I'm here to tell you right now, we can do the math and, and go through the whole details if you want to. But for point of saving time, they were at about 10% of their force when the protesters began arriving. That could not have been an accidental event. No. It couldn't have been. It had to be coordinated. Let me ask you this. Well, I'm not going to ask you now. We're going to take our final break of the show. When we come back, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot. Mm-mm. I'm not going to tell you right now what it's about, but those of you listening in, I've, I've, I've gotten all kinds of texts. You have roughly 950,000 people listening to you right now. One of our favorites, James Posey, he's worn out the text coming in. He just, he just sent one that said, you need to have him back in studio more often. <laughs> but when we come back, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to make you sweat All right. because I'm going to put you to it. I'm looking forward to it. Steve Baker in the studio with us now, investigative journalist. He's been all over the United States, different investigations. We're talking about the J6 riot in Washington, D.C. He'll be here to answer my question next. You're fighting back the tidal wave of deceit, lies, spin, and ignorance with TNN, the Truth News Network. Long live the courageous, the tenacious, the ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good, the helping hand, those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram. Proven to last. Hey, Thirst, can I try out a few Coke summer sound effects on you? Yes. Cool. You okay with this? And this. And what about this? Ha! Gotcha there, Thirst. That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca-Cola. Open happiness. Okay, for $100, who's the group doing this song? Who's the what on this song? Who's the group doing the song? Come on now. (laughs) 
It's from our era. I, I know. And and here, here's the problem with that. This is there's like two or three of these songs right there, you know, that <laughs> I always it's you know it's I always get it confused. Is it that one or is it that one or is that one? And it's, it's like three options, but. Well, this wasn't the big question you were going to make me sweat about. No, 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 no. I just thought of that when I was listening to the song play, <laughs> the bumper. Edgar. Oh, that's Edgar Winter. Edgar Winter. See, I would, I would have missed it. Well, it doesn't sound like the typical stuff no, you do. No. Okay. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. I didn't. I didn't cheat. I didn't tell him during the break what, what I was going to ask him. It's a two-part question. I'm going to ask it in two parts. I'm going to give you part one now. All right. Will we ever know the facts of January 6th? <laughs> I, I desperately want to say yes. And I will be honest to tell you, to tell you and your audience, that although I think I know, remember we started the show today talking about how when we were young, we thought we knew everything. Yeah, yeah. And the most amazing thing about January 6th in the two years that I've been investigating this is that my perceptions, my biases, my presuppositions have all been challenged by what I learn every day. What I thought I know is challenged by what I learn, by the next rock that I flip over, overturn and look under it, I see things that make me go, God, I wish it wasn't that way. I wish that wasn't the right answer. So by saying that, let's take that concept that you just said. When we were young, we thought we knew everything. Mm -hmm. And then you found out, step by step, interview by interview, looking at, listening to, one thing after another, proved that your opinion at the front wasn't actually the facts that you were unburying. Using that philosophy, you know, earlier when we talked about wokeism and the woke crowd, I told you it was unsustainable. This is a prime example of that because truth shines a light on lies and evil. Right. And when that happens, they're just what they are. They're not, they're not what people perceive or want them to be. You and I both know. And my guess is we're not at a provable, 100% provable spot right now where we can say it absolutely from top to bottom was orchestrated. But there are too many people yeah. that are in this thing with lots of power and lots of information, knowing everything that they knew and the stuff they didn't know, right. they were told by the three-letter agencies that something's coming. You better get ready. Something's coming. The president calls uh, the National Guard, or he didn't call them, but the word went out through the chain of command. Mm -hmm. He wanted 10,000 troopers there. Nancy Pelosi said, nope, not going to happen. All of those things rolled in. I'm going to put you on the spot. Will we ever know the truth? Commit. Come on now, commit. I so desperately want to say yes, but well, even the more favorable or allegedly friendly elements of our own government. So that's why I hesitate. 
I, I desperately want to say yes. And I will also tell you this. It was, in fact, people like Senator Ron Johnson and others at his level-ish in the government who told me to my face that it was going to be people like you, talking about independent journalists, that were going to find the truth of January 6th, that it was not going to come from the establishment media or from some select committee uh, in Congress. So the, the answer is if, if we're allowed to do what we are doing today and certain of us <laughs> that are out there turning those rocks over are not Arkansided, <laughs> Clintonized, <laughs> Then we're not uh, suicided, right? Then we're going to find the truth, and that's the only way I can answer that. Is that we're we're there? Some of us are committed to this uh, for the long haul, and I I will I will say this, and I can I think I can do this briefly, although I do tend to be long winded about a lot of subjects, particularly this subject. But on the issue of January sixth, that night I did a uh, video live from my hotel room. And when I got back with a drink in my hand and my adrenaline still, you know, pumping. That was cold iced tea. Yes, it was. I said and uploaded it to YouTube that it was a spontaneous riot of Trump supporters, even the violence. I did say in the video, I covered myself a little bit. I said, certainly there were probably other elements, but no, it was 90% Trump people. Okay. Then I went home and began to analyze my video frame by frame, locked myself away for five days and did a frame by frame analysis of my video. And over and over and over again, I was going, oh my God, what is that? Who is that? What are they doing? Wait a minute. These people are working coordinated. Wait a minute. These aren't Trump people. These guys are trained in the art of agent provocateurism. These guys are trained in the, in the art of moving crowds and eliciting behaviors. I saw that. And, and then I get away from that and I start studying the individual circumstances and individual characters in the audience, known and unknown, known and unknown, and I start having some of my some of my preliminary conclusions and observations, which are all filtered through our own individual biases, begin to be challenged over and over and over and over again. And and so I got to the point in this investigation, Dan. I just want the truth. Yeah. I don't yeah. care. I don't care if this leads back to Trump. I don't care if it leads to Nancy Pelosi. I don't care if it leads to the top floor of the Hoover building. I don't care. I just want the truth. And you know why? Is because people's lives have been ruined as a result of this that don't deserve their lives to be ruined. They've become political pawns and political prisoners as a result of this day. And I want truth to come out for their benefit. It's been shocking to me over the last five years as I launched into this full-time how easy it is to do honest investigations and find facts. Yeah. 
And then all of the little branches that go out from that when you find out there's a reason why you didn't know this, Dan. It's because of this. You know, it's been hidden. It's not being talked about. Uh, it doesn't fit any political narrative of people that are out there specifically, you know, NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to look and you've got to listen and you've got to use your brain. We're all endowed with the ability to discern to some degree. All of us are. And in honesty, looking for facts and making facts exist in a vacuum rather than us take a fact and sugarcoat it and try to describe it in some way that fits what we want it to be rather than what it is. Mm -hmm. I think J6 has initiated much of that in the American populace because, as you said, it has destroyed the lives of of far more people than we even know. And that fact alone, I think, may, just may, feed into the answer to the final question I was going to ask you, the second part. Let's just suppose that the perpetrators that have been involved in this, let's just say it was a coordinated conspiracy, and I think it was. You pretty much do too. But we find the players... And it's confirmed evidentiary that they were the players in this. Will anybody be held accountable? That really depends on who's in power at the time in government, doesn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. if the people that are found uh, to be responsible, let's just say, let's just go all the way to the top and say that they were responsible for the planning and the initiation of January 6th and all that has transpired since and the government are in power at that time is on their side, then the answer is obviously no. Yeah. And then if the person found responsible or a group that a person's found responsible is on the opposite side of whoever's in power in Washington, D.C. at the time, they might. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that would be like right now if Hunter Biden was the person. Right. You know, hey, he'd get a slap on the hand and... Uh, he'd get thrown the keys to the Corvette to use for the weekend or something. But you know what what we've learned, though, Dan? Let's just be honest about this. You know who's more powerful right now than who sits in either the the head of the judiciary, the head of the legislative branch, or who sits in the big seat in the White House? It's still the mainstream media. Yeah, it is. They're shaping the narrative. As I always say, this is one of my axioms. If the New York Times, Washington Post, NPR, and the like do not say it, it did not happen. And the mainstream media now has the FBI and probably the CIA and the DNI and even several other of the intelligence agencies. So they're running clearance. They're, they're clearing the way. Them. They're authorizing everything. Yeah, It's a scary thing. It is. I want to end this show on kind of a humorous note that I think you and I can both relate to. You know, I get a lot of my news from the Daily Mail, and I've got a couple of other international news sources because we get so much about us Mm -hmm. from somebody over there that's (laughs) not jaded like we are, and they're not enamored by all of the mainstream media here like we are. Daily Mail. 
I don't know if you heard this. CNN that's dying. Okay, they're dying. They're floundering. They're pretty much gone. Guess what they're considering? They're even talking outwardly about this. They're mulling stand-up comic programming for primetime. On CNN. On CNN. Well, you know, why not, Dan? Because MTV doesn't play music anymore. The History Channel doesn't have history programming any longer. Uh, we can go right down the list. So CNN, the comedy news network, <laughs> why not? And and then you start, you go down the, the, the daisy chain of who's going to do it, who will be, you know, who will be running it, who will be the main stage. You know what? is feeding into this one thing and one thing only. Why would they think about doing that? Think about it for a second. Why would CNN think about going, doing in primetime stand-up comedy? Well, obviously the only reason I can imagine that they would even think about it is they're desperate for ratings, and I think that that's the only way that they can uh, peel off some of MSNBC and Fox and bring them back. It's because of Greg Gutfeld. Oh, well, okay. Number right, one right, in right, right. late night yes. now. He's, yeah. He destroys everybody else. Right. But it's a conservative guy. Right. And he's not conservative conservative, but mm. more so than people like uh, Cuomo was. Yeah, he's a libertarian. Yeah. All right. Steve, I can't tell you how much we enjoyed having you in the studio today. Uh, Mama lives here. When you come back to see Mama, make sure you come by here anytime. We will. To join the show. And, of course, you're going to be back with us every Tuesday giving us the inside scoop on the latest stuff that you're investigating. Yeah, and I don't know which direction I'm going right now. I told you off the air, but... Uh, yeah, and I'm not going to leak it. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm a loyal uh, protector <laughs> of facts. All right, folks, thank you so much for being here. We will be back tomorrow morning, 9 to 11 a.m. And if you missed the show, anybody you ever miss all or part of this show... You can always pick it up at one of your favorite podcast sites. Thank you for being here. We love working together with you. You're very special. You guys have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow morning at TNN Live. Such a small time Figured they'd kidnap a rich man's son Maybe make it in a world of crime Watch out, I've seen one
Government boys, they came for machine gun, took the poor boy away. They stuck him in a hole in a Leavenworth prison where he'd have been till his dying day. Watch out, machine gun, 